and welcome to another episode of But Why. Straight up, I want to be honest because that is what I like to do on, on all projects that I work on. This episode was actually originally recorded for Honestly and one way or another it's found itself to be part of this and I'm really glad actually because I think it couldn't be more appropriate than it is now. I had the pleasure of talking to my friend Bryony Gordon about... I struggle to know what to call it, about recovery, about sobriety, and actually the but why that I want to pull out of it is, but why is the language around being sober so complicated and arguably so important? I think there's a lot of resistance to the language around addiction, alcoholism, sobriety, yada yada, mm. whatever you want to call it. People get really, really like <clears throat> about it. And, and I understand that because I was like that too. I spent what feels like a great deal of my life trying to prove that I wasn't an alcoholic because I didn't like that word. I'd be like, oh, that's just such a definitive word and it's a man on a bench and it's not me and it's, it's just a word. Do you know what I mean? Like in the end, I was like, I can literally die on a hill about these words mm. or I can get better. All the statistics are suggesting that over the last year, people's um, relationship with alcohol has taken a turn for the worst. On the one hand, it's not very surprising, but on the other hand it's extremely worrying i think i'm writing saying that there's been a 1700% rise in people google searching am i an alcoholic now um as you may or may not know i will be 2 years sober this may which actually, as I say it out loud, is absolutely mad to me. But I feel really grateful that I haven't had a relationship with alcohol over the last year because I know that I've had to dig deep in all other places and been searching for things to try and to try and help me get through the, the days and the weeks. And I can absolutely understand how alcohol could be one of those. But I also know what it's like when you in your heart of hearts know that your relationship with alcohol isn't serving you now i couldn't tell you how long and how many hangovers and how many hours of self-loathing and regret it took for me to finally make the plunge but i can tell you that being sober is without doubt the best decision i have ever made for myself as an adult and I don't want to really do a spoiler before we get there. There is no way that sobriety is something that means you're missing out. It really, really is a gift every single day. And I, I hope that is transparent as you hear Bryony and I talk. And it's not to judge people or to try and ram anything down people's throat, but it's to say that the alternative to drinking can be amazing. So without me rambling on anymore and telling you how much I love being sober, let's listen to Brandy and her experience of recovery. What do you wish you'd known as a kid? <laughs> I mean, we've only got an hour. <laughs> yeah, this could be the whole episode, right? But you can make it fun, you can make it quick. I wish I'd known a... I wish I'd learned to speak another language. So good. Or, or a musical instrument. Yeah, something, something like that, yeah. Yeah, like, as an adult, you'd definitely go back to school and do it quite differently, wouldn't you? Oh, my God, so differently, yeah. It'd be I so I'd... fun to learn would... stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> it's too It's not. No, I know. It's, I, yes, but anyway. It, I, I, it's not. I'll just focus on trying to teach my child, get my child to learn an instrument or another language. Mm. Yeah, and then they won't. Okay, so I'm going to talk, we always pick one big topic and I had the title of this as recovery and then I always throw it out to Instagram and some people felt uncomfortable with that language. What would why? you think would be a good title? Rick, why are they uncomfortable with the term recovery? Well, I asked them what they think it, they thought it should be and um, someone should say said it should be recovered and I was like, well, then you don't get it. No. Because <laughs> that isn't a we're thing. Never, we're never... Rec yeah, yes, exactly. Um, and then it's like living clean, being sober, abstinence. And I, uh, abstinence is not... For me, I don't know how you feel about that. Um, I mean, I talk, I, I use the phrase recovery. I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of resistance to the language around addiction, alcoholism, sobriety, yada, yada, whatever you want to call it. People get really, really like 
<clears throat> about it. And, and I understand that because I was like that too, you know. I spent what feels like a great deal of my life time trying to prove that I wasn't an alcoholic because I didn't like that word. I didn't, you know, I'd be like, oh, that's just such a definitive word and it's a man on a bench and da 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 and it's not me and it's it's just a word do you know what I mean like in the end I was like either either I can I either I can die on a hill I can literally die on a hill about these words or I can get better you know and in the end it was such a relief to just accept I was an alcoholic I'm someone that can't drink in a normal way I am someone who drinks in a problematic way. Whatever you want to, what you can get all mixed up with the kind of terminology. But you know, the more you do that, the more you're kind of not looking at the real picture. Does that make sense? Um, I think the word recovery is lovely, and also recovered. Like I think that that also assumes that we kind of do something and then we're cured and then we move on. You know, and actually, the most most helpful thing I've realized about life is that we are all, you know, I, I, have, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, that I have this theory that we're all born completely fucking mad. The idea that we're born pure and innocent and all of that is that actually humans are intuitively quite bonkers, you know, and quite like, you know, and, and, and our parents have to work really hard almost to try and, you know, help us, teach us how to exist in a normal way. And, and a lot of our parents fail at doing that and then we get angry with them. But like when they haven't actually been taught how to do it themselves either. And I kind of have this thing of instead of thinking, you know, that we are all naturally born pure, innocent, clean slates and, you know what I mean, and we get ruined by and we get fucked up by our parents, maybe it's the other way around. And I, uh, yeah, so recovery, I, I realized that life is just this ongoing process and it's much easier to deal with life if you accept that these things are always, they're always present. And that isn't, that, I mean, some people get a bit like, oh, isn't that a bit grim? Like I, you know, the thought people, sometimes people say to me, oh my God, you still go to 12 step meetings? And I'm like, yeah, because it helps me, you know? And it's, it's like the amount of effort I put into like drinking every day, <laughs> I can, I can sure as hell, like spend three hours of my week going to a 12 step meeting. It's not a problem for me. So I think recovery is nice. I think we're all in recovery. <laughs> I think so too. And it's so fun. I mean, actually, and as a friend of yours, I wanted to ask you because I always, whenever I've tried to talk about my journey, because I, I wasn't, I wasn't in a, the same place as you. I hadn't hit, I had hit several rock bottoms, but it wasn't going to cost me my life or my relationship or my job to to give up drinking and therefore okay you know I sometimes get told that I shouldn't use the language of sober but it's like if it is a decision every day to not do it and if what you were doing was causing your mental state harm we're doing everyone a disservice to say that you have to get to this point in order for you to want to change something. No, also because, you know, we, we also know that alcoholism, addiction issues are progressive illnesses. So, you know, why do we have to wait until, you know, like my, my situation got pretty fucking bad. But let me tell you something, Clemmy. I'm under a no illusion that it could get a whole lot fucking worse if I picked up a drink again. And sorry for the swearing. And, you know, it's not a competition who was who was, you know, if it feels like your drinking is causing you problems, then, you know, perhaps deal with it. And, you know, I can get that thing when I, I can get annoyed when I hear people on Instagram who are like, oh, uh, you know, I've, I've stopped drinking my one glass of wine a week or whatever, and I'm already feeling the benefits. I'm like, fuck off! <laughs> I'm like, you have no right to talk about sobriety. You are essentially just a normally, you don't have a problem. But then I'm like, why are you getting upset about this, Bridie? Like, if people are, you know, are rejoicing and celebrating sobriety, whatever their circumstances, that's a brilliant thing, you know? So I have to look at what that that says about me, right? And what, and, and you know, everyone has a right to do whatever they fucking want in terms of, 
And so you have a right to talk about sobriety, you know. Everyone has a right if they don't like it. Just like move on. It's like we're just talking about the books. Like, fine. But it's it's um it, it's a really interesting conversation that needs to be had more. And I and I think the very fact that people have all these hang ups and all this stuff shows you that it needs to be had more. You know, the the, the fact that people get so caught up in the language of and you know uh, uh, and we hear this all the time and you know al- you know with alcoholism and i mean it's it's and people say oh that's an unhelpful term and i'm like it's not an unhelpful term what's unhelpful is um the the societal view of alcoholism that's what's unhelpful do you know what i mean that's what's leading you down this hole of like you know what was unhelpful to me was the perception that an alcoholic was someone on a park bench who'd lost everything do you know what i mean it wasn't certainly wasn't well. It wasn't a thirty-six-year-old woman who just ran a marathon and interviewed Prince Harry and blah 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 and had a house in Clapham and was sat up mental health mates and all that stuff that we'd done. You know, that wasn't an alcoholic. Well, guess what? It was. Do you know what I mean? Like every night, I was not every night, but every other night, I was drinking. <laughs> to oblivion in my back garden, you know, and occasionally it was getting, it was, it was bad enough that I would go AWOL and drugs would be involved and all of that stuff. But this is really common, Clemmy. You know this, do you know what I mean? Like, well, this you know- is it. And I think that, yeah, there's so much, but it, it's, it's easier for people to say that isn't me. But um, as of this morning, it's all over the press that they think that 8.4 million people in England are drinking at a high risk level. That's up since 4.8 million in February. And I was asking Instagram yesterday about their drinking habits and 23% of my audience said that they were concerned about their drinking. And actually, it's a conversation that I had with Matt Haig in relation to mental health. If you can ask yourself if you're worried, then you probably need to do something. You know, that that intuition part of you that goes, something's not right, is really important. Yeah, it is. And I think we have a tendency to go, like, I used to go, oh, no, do you know what the problem is, Bridie, is that you worry too much about these things. Do you know what I mean? Like, you need to let go, relax, be like some sort of like, you know, like one of Truman Capote's swans. And, just, and I'm like, no, that's not me. I can't live like that. And... <laughs> You know, yes, 8.4 million. I mean, I'm I'm always weary of stats like this because I don't think that lockdown, you can't say that lockdown has turned people into alcoholics, you know? Like, I think there, there are people that will always have that tendency, do you know what I mean? And then the certain circumstances will have pushed them into that. What I'm not anti-people drinking. I'm not anti-alcohol. But what I am anti is us not acknowledging the harmful effects it has on a lot of people. And, you know, and I think that the problems come in when we are, we're all sort of like, you know, in collective denial about it and and what it looks like and what it means and the harm it does. And it's also really hard when the government uh, one hell, on one hand talking about the greatest public health crisis of a generation, i.e. COVID. But on the other hand, there's this other, in my opinion, you know, just as big public health crisis, which is, um, which has been directly caused by the lack of mental health provision provided by the government. And, you know, addiction services have been stripped back, you know, to their bare bones in, in very recently. You know, this isn't like, you can't blame this on historic um stigma this is this is a recent thing that you know this government have directly you know removed um loads of funding of addiction services for councils and stuff and it's and it's really harmful and i am of the opinion that the more we talk about this stuff you know the better it is because either we want to you know, I just know the suffering that it causes. I know, and I, you know, there are plenty of people that can just have one or two, and that's fine. But it's important we talk about this for those people too, because just as I can't understand what it must be like to just want one or two drinks, they can't understand what it's like to not be able to stop. So all of us benefit from this conversation, you know, and and it is really nothing to be ashamed of. Like alcohol is, um, you know, it's a it's a legal drug that's sold on supermarket shelves. And, you know, that, if, you know, lots of people say this isn't, I'm not being original saying this, but, you know, if alcohol was invented today, it would not be allowed. You know, it just wasn't part of people would be like, what the fuck? You know, and, um, 
And it has, you know, some people, it has a huge, you know, but the thing about it is that because it's legal and because the government say, right, you must, you know, shove a sticker on the bottle saying drink responsibly. I then go, well, why can't I drink responsibly? I'm such a fuck up. I'm the fuck up. Why can't I? Everyone else can. The truth is not everyone else can, you know. I I think there's a vast... um, Try, you know, and it's also the other thing about alcohol is it's a depressant that masquerades remarkably well as a relaxant, and it's seductive. I mean, it's like a kind of Oscar-winning actor in that. So, you know, it's very hard to, uh, you know, chemically, mentally, and you know, in any way, to kind of disentangle yourself from it. And um, it's just not good enough what's on offer for people at the moment. You know, I mean, and there's also, you know, I I rely entirely not you know but like on 12-step programs and the fellowship that that gets from me and that's they're wonderful but you know even they're being messed around by the government you know in terms of the rule of six and last week Matt Hancock went went on the radio and said that 12-step meetings were not exempt from the rule of six and then a few days later it's written into the rules that they are and this is really this is just you know it's really it's really damaging to people like if you're not going to provide the um the the services for people to get better at least allow the ones that are stepping in to fill the massive fucking gap um to to function in a normal way so anyway but i could rant about this forever no um, yeah it's so interesting (laughs) there's so many points yeah i think the reason why when you don't drink it 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 feels like such a huge act is because at every given moment society wants you to drink don't they you have that's why it is a, a daily decision because you have a baby people buy you a drink you i recently did a, a big job and the agency wanted to send me something as a thank you and i had to say to them i'm imagining you're gonna probably send me a bottle of something i don't drink and it's like you can't escape it can you all of the language, especially in Britain. I mean, I don't think it's... No, I agree. It's this, this country. And also, it's like when we were growing up, like, our pe- like I don't know about you, but if my parents had had a shit day, the first thing they'd do is have a glass of wine, you know? And, like, I think that's just... It's very... So it's it's a very normal thing to fall into the trap of. And I, I would say to anyone listening, please don't feel like you're a fuck-up. You're just a... Fu- you're just a human, yeah. you know, who is... Who is He's been who fed is, this thing. And some people are lucky enough that d- they don't get affected by it, but some of us are, you know, and it's all, you know, it's like why, it's why I find the allergy idea very helpful. You know, I am allergic to alcohol. This is what happens when I pick up a drink, Clemmy. I pick up another one and another one and another one and another one. And then I'm naked standing on a table trying to call a drug dealer to get some cocaine so I can have more and 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 more. <laughs> it's, but it's almost like yeah that's essentially what happens it takes it might take a while for me to get to that stage but essentially that is what happened and that's very that sounds very middle class but you know like let's talk about this is everywhere this is fucking everywhere but also I mean? if, even if you don't end up on a massive binge people understand like it would be normal for me to say i can only tolerate two coffees in the, because it makes me jittery I can only yeah. tolerate one drink and it make it triggers my anxiety and uh, the, the people haven't normalized that that is is exactly what it can do yeah it triggers my desire to have more and more and more <laughs> do you know what I mean which then triggers my uh, you know it's so it's so complicated but you know <laughs> I just wish we'd all talk about it a bit more because the damage that is done by this is like huge and the drugs thing as well because I you know I I realize now that drugs were a big part of my story because they enabled me to drink more and uh, you know and 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 they are everywhere you know and it does and it causes untold damage not just to the people taking them but to the people supplying you know like we know you know county lines all of that shit and um and it's you know and it is a cocaine and stuff like that they are drink they are drugs that go hand in hand with binge drinking because they so they kind of sober you up and enable you to carry on drinking so i'm uh, and that there's a sort of ter- there's a real kind of like oh it's all sort of i don't know there's still this view of cocaine as this like 1980s dinner party drug like I've, I've just changed my voice and it's all the middle classes you know indulging in it and it's sort of celebrities and it's it's like it's just like it's just a street drug now do you know what i mean it's everywhere and it and it causes 
is untold damage. So um, now that anyway. you're out of that place, like the reality of of that, you know, going into a toilet and and snorting it, it it's so dirty, isn't it? <laughs> It is, but I... I mean, I'm not judging. It's just no, it is I, mad I, that that becomes, as you say, thing. on the one hand, you're interviewing Prince Harry and your career's booming and you've got a lovely family. On the other, that is what's happening. I mean, I, I think that it's... Um, I, I can't... My breath catches quite a lot about where my drinking took me. And... Um, and, I, and I I also think there's this double whammy, right, going on for a lot of people in that alcohol is because because there's no kind of good mental health provision. We grow up like with these really shit coping mechanisms like drinking. And so for a lot of people, alcoholism is a double whammy. It's a mental illness on top of caused by another mental illness kind of thing. For me, you know, as a little girl, I had a very bad, what I now, what would now be diagnosed and recognized as obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, crippling to the point I couldn't leave the house. But back then, back then, like I'm talking as if it was like the dark yeah. age, you know, this is the nineties. No one really knew. So I didn't get any treatment for it. And, you know, so of course when I was 14, 15 and I discovered this magic elixir that like seemed to take away all of my worries and my strife and all of that, you know, I fell hard for it and it didn't matter that the next day I felt like shit or, you know, I put myself in danger or any of that because the, 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 the relief from feeling quote unquote normal and not having these intrusive voices rampaging through my head the other all the time telling myself I was a serial killing paedophile or the worst person in the world and that I was about to be taken away. You know, the relief provided by alcohol like weighed all that out if that makes sense so um I'm like I just think it's a conversation I I could I could have it uh, you know as I say I'm not anti-alcohol I don't want to poo you know I don't want to like poo <laughs> I don't want to rain on anyone's parade if you can have one or two you know I'm like just have one or two don't beat yourself up about it do you know what I mean like Life's too short, you know, but life is also remarkably short if you can't have one or two and you can only have five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten. And then, you know, and it kind of descends, you know, then life's going to be even shorter. So um, and I think, you know, deep down in your gut, which which camp you fall into, don't Mm. you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's it's funny because your book is called Rock Bottom, but I'm imagining that you get to the rock bottom, but there are several ledges on the way down to there, aren't there? Well, yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because that, yeah, the, yeah, glorious rock bottom. And then we, you know, I, in reality, the things that happened, you know, the my last drink took place on an event that wasn't any, really that much worse than lots of things that had happened before. Um but it was like I was I talk about my rock bottom really being I was like hollowed out by self-loathing and I knew that if I didn't (sighs) if I didn't do something I I would die I was either going to die by uh choosing to kill myself which is a place I had been to in my head uh, many times or I was going to die by choking on my own vomit or falling down some stairs you know the sort of or I or worst of all I was going to die by continuing to live in this like groundhog day existence mm. of like anxiety and you know every day waking up going I'm not going to do that again I'm not going to do that again I'm not going to do that again like and it didn't have to be going out it would be like this could all be in my own garden like who did I text what did I did the neighbors see me um and then you know and every morning I'm not going to do that again I'm not going to do that again and on we go through the day not doing that again not to, and then you get to like two or three in the afternoon and be like I'm going to do that again I'm going to do that again I'm going to do that again you know and that is no way to live like I was thinking about drinking even when I wasn't drinking and I would tell myself that because I didn't drink every day and I didn't drink during the day that I wasn't an alcoholic but you know, none of that really mattered because I was thinking about drinking all the time. Like my whole week was structured around getting away with doing as much drinking as possible. So if I had a big work event on a Tuesday morning, 
I couldn't drink on a Monday night, although that wouldn't always mean I didn't, but do you know what I mean? And so I'd have to drink on the Sunday. And, you know, it was like that. That was that was what structured my week, you know. And when you've got, as I did at the time, a four-year-old and a, you know, that's, you're going to get found out at some point. Yeah. And I was like, I need to, I need to find myself out before anyone else does, basically. How had pregnancy and early motherhood been for you then? Because obviously there's a big window when you're not drinking, either not drinking at all or not drinking very much. Yeah, so it was interesting because I got pregnant and I just assumed that pregnancy was going to do for me what rehab does for everyone else. Um, you know, I just thought, oh, this is this is the full stop on my mad partying ways. You know, look, I'm pregnant. I have a boyfriend and we have a bugaboo and a two-bedroom flat in Clapham like life's sweet baby and I you know I didn't crave any booze during you know during pregnancy I didn't think about it and then two weeks after my baby was born it was like on me like I needed to go to the pub or I needed really? to have- yeah, yeah. I think I just kind of like excused it I told myself well of course I do this is you know this new mothering lark stressful and I I couldn't, I wasn't, you know, my breast, I gave up on breastfeeding pretty quickly because my boobs were so big. It was like trying to, it was hideous. No milk, you know, the milk wasn't coming. My daughter was like the first person to turn away from my boobs screaming in horror and it was just awful. And so then I, I was like, well, my, you know, my baby, you know, it's like happy mum, happy baby. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, oh, sitting in the garden with my husband in the evening when my daughter's gone to bed is like, that's, you know, having a chat. That's, that's great. You know, we're, we're relaxed. You know, I justified a lot of it. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's uncommon though. And also it is accessing, it's a quick access to an old part of you, isn't it? Like new motherhood turns you upside down and you're like, actually with the drink in my hand, we're having yeah. a conversation like we used to. We well, look at us. We're okay. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 that you know, I was very attached to that idea of old briny and yeah. motherhood won't change me. Like, really? What a lie. <laughs> you know, it's um, so you know, I think it's really the you know, I I have a lot of messages from women um, uh, telling me about how ashamed they feel about their drinking, and I remember, you know, I went to I started rehab the day before my daughter started reception and like the shame, the absolute fucking shame. And then I remember I walked into rehab and the first person I met was another mother who lived like a mile away from me. And, you know, and I was like, she was there all along, you know, like this is, this is much more common than we talk about. Certainly. Do you know what I mean? I think that um, lockdown definitely reminded me of some of that early motherhood bit. It's when when life is one big stretch ahead of you, alcohol can 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 shift what is a bit of a monotony, can't it? You go, I get to the time I can have a drink and things will feel a bit better. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is, it is, yeah, it's, a, you know, as I say, it's a drug that, it's a depressant that masquerades as a relaxant and it's incredibly powerful, um, you know, and I understand that. And it's hard, it is, you know, like no one said it was going to be easy getting sober, you know. Um, I know that it was easier, I certainly know, though, it's much easier having none than it is trying to have one or two. Like that moderation thing, I, you know, my husband would be like, why can't you just have one or two? And I'd be like, why can't you just fuck off? You know, I just couldn't. Brene Brown talks, Brene Brown, who actually, if anyone's listening to this, she's written a great piece. She's, I think, like 23, 25 years sober, and she talks about it. But you have to check in with yourself. I'm someone who finds abstinence easier in everything than moderation. And I wish it, I wish it wasn't that way but you've got to know yourself haven't you yeah yeah and I just think it's you know it's what works for you and I yeah moderation no I can't I'm not very good at it some things I'm fine with some things I can do in moderation like, like what tell me one <laughs> like the things the things that are actually good for me like you know exercise I do that in moderation like I struggle <laughs> okay I won't do too much of that then <laughs> uh yeah 
eating healthy food, I can I can do that in moderation. <laughs> Never want to eat like loads of salads. Do you know what I mean? Well, I was um, laughing to myself uh, this morning, talking to a friend about cheese. It's like, yeah, I'm really proud. I don't overeat cheese, and I think it's really good. And <laughs> yeah, I don't like. I'm not. I don't have a sweet tooth. Like, don't you? I don't know. Like, I'm. You know, listen. My, I, I am. You know, I, I. Uh, it's it's very difficult to do drugs in moderation. That's the truth. And alcohol is a drug. So, um, you know, anyway, but it is much easier. And people often say to me, do you mind if I have a drink? And I'm like, no. And I actually find it very helpful to see people drinking in moderation because I think, fuck me. I don't like it reminds me that I can't do it. Like, and also that I don't want to do it. So like, Clemmie, if you were to say to me now, oh, by the way, have you heard they've come up with this drug that makes you moderate your drinking and you take it and you only one or two, I'd be like, well, not interested in taking it. Like if I was to pick up a drink today, I'd want fucking oblivion. I'm not interested in like a slight beer bus. Fuck off no, with your in, beer bus. In for a penny, in for a pound. Um, it's something I've been wrangling for the book, but also because I'm a parent. How do you intend to talk to your daughter about it? Uh, or, do, well, or do you already? I do already. Um, so she knows that mummy doesn't drink. Mummy's allergic to alcohol. And she's like, what happens if you drink alcohol? And I say to her that I will run naked through the streets. And she's like, please don't drink alcohol. <laughs> well, well, actually, I have run almost naked through the streets, obviously, for the marathon. But um, but no, but like, you know, I go mad. And so I don't know. I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. It doesn't, like, I'm not, people often say to me, oh, what if your daughter reads your books? And I'm like, well, then she'll read my books. And yeah, that I she knows and you. Like, she lives with you. And I, I don't, I'm not ashamed anymore of the things that have happened to me. And they happen to lots of people. And, you know, either you want to live in a world where we help people to, like, recover from these things or we want to live in a world where we don't talk about it because it's all too embarrassing and people continue to be unwell because of them and so I, I it's not a it's I'm not bothered about my daughter reading about mummy going you know like assault and things that happened to me and you know and, it's, and you don't do you intend to discourage her from drinking or or leave her on to you know on that path uh, I, I'll leave her on that path I think uh, I think the idea of thinking that I in any way will be able to discourage a teenager from drinking is frankly I'm getting ideas above my station yeah, you know exactly. I mean? like, yeah. I'm, I certainly won't enable it <laughs> but no. like you know I, I can't like you can't stop people being who they're going to be you know like you can't and I hope that I'll just be the kind of mum that if she'll know that if it starts to feel like it's getting under out of hand, she can come to me and go, mum, I think maybe this might be something that I'm a bit allergic to. And I'll go, okay, so why don't we talk about helping you with that? At this point, I'm going to swoop in and do a shameless plug for my book. Brian and I are talking about how we talk to our kids about alcohol. And it's definitely something that I've been thinking about long and hard. In fact, in my book but why there's a question but why do adults drink and when I initially went to try and answer it I was like I'm going to do this in a very neutral way I want my kids to know that it's okay to drink but actually with a lot of these questions it ends up being a question to the adults in that child's life because nearly everything we do in parenting is actually modeling behavior for our children so again if you think you might have a bad relationship with alcohol, ask yourself if that's something that you want to pass on to your children and, and behave accordingly. But anyway, it's a very nuanced subject. It's, there's no easy answers. And I was really glad to seek a lot of expert advice in answering that question. So if that sounds interesting to you, please pre-order the book via the link in my show notes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
it would be naive to think that we're going to live in a world where people don't experience addiction and mental illness, you know, but it's not too much to think that we can live in a world where our kids can talk to us openly about it and find, and get help for it. And that's all I really want is for people to be able to wake up and know what to do in the same way instinctively we know what to do if we have a cough or a cold or a headache or we feel sick and we know right I'm going to go get someone to go to the pharmacy for me and get this medicine or that medicine or you know you break you think you've broken your arm right I'm going to take this person to A&E and then they're going to get a cast but on you know like I want it that to be as instinctive right I think I'm depressed what are we going to do we're going to go to the GP and we're going to demand that I get some um, counseling and a you know and and and, and that that to be as instinctive do you know what I mean like, that's so what, what was like. your path from the rock bottom to what did you do how did you get help uh well I was lucky enough to be able to go to treatment I went to day uh, day outpatient day treatment in London um and I do obviously it was 12 step based so um that is what I recommend to anyone who is experienced who thinks they've got a problem uh, look up 12 step meetings um it's there and it's free um, do you think it, though sorry to interrupt you but it's there still has to be a point where the person wants to do it themselves you know even if we had the best mental health provision of course well, of course, but I can't like I I I can't like tell anyone when they're going to get to that point. No, do you know what I mean? but, like, there, but do you think that, that that is ultimately what has to happen? Where you think I can't do this to myself anymore? Yeah, but also it's more likely to happen sooner if we live in a culture where we talk about these things more and people true. feel less safe. So you're more likely to reach that point before you can't. You know, if we lived in a world where we were like, oh, this is available, people, it's a bit like. You know, people talk about now, you know, preventing colds, flus, coronavirus, whatever, wash your hands. You know, we'll all start to do that more. Like, you know, yes, people need to find their rock bottom. But as we know, rock bottoms are not, they're not like set, you know, a lot of them have, you know, paper floors that, you know, have paper trap doors in them that you can fall through. Like, you know, you don't, it's your, you choose. Okay, so when I went to rehab, one of my counselors told me this and it was very powerful. It's like addiction is a lift going down. You can choose to get off on whatever floor you want, but if you get back on, you will go further down. Mm. And I think that's powerful to remember. Like you don't mm. have to do everything. You don't have to see the fact that you haven't lost everything as a reason to carry on. Like, why do you want to lose everything? <laughs> you no, mean? Like, I mean, all of us want to be on the lift going up in life, don't we? That's yeah. Well, that's just, as simple as that. Just, we're just or, on the on the ground floor. <laughs> just, just it's so true. Floor. I just want to stay on one fucking floor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't got lofty ambitions to stop me going yeah. downwards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think, and it's yeah. such a good analogy. And the thing is, if your mental health is a is a route downwards as well, and then you add in addiction, there's no wonder that it, it just you drop like a stone. Yes, exactly. And I, you know, I just think we we all benefit from having these conversations more. You know, then we live in the solution. You know, and or trying to find a solution. Um, and and um you know this stuff affects all of us at some point you know i'm not saying everyone becomes an alcoholic and everyone gets depressed and everyone but you know the chances are you're going to know someone who loves someone who experiences these things if you're lucky enough to escape them yourself and then you want to know how to help don't you well actually that is a question that i got asked a lot yesterday how do two things how do i support uh, help a friend or family member who's in denial about their addiction love them just yeah. love them hang um, in there hang in there but like don't enable it do you know what i mean like if it is hurting you Step away from it and hope, and you know, stepping away from it may be one of the things that allows them to see they have a problem. And maybe that, and maybe that is a way of loving them. Like if that person keeps, you know, as we do when we are in addiction and an active addiction, we let people down, we don't show up, you know, um, but see, realize that that's the illness, not the person. And, you know, 
um, um, maybe you have to put down a boundary and say, I'm really sorry, but I can't continue to see you if you continue to do this, that, the other, you know, and it's hard, but it's, it's, it's at, in a way is a loving thing because you're allowing that person to see the effects of their, you know, and saying, I love you and I'm here for you if you want to get help. But, you know, I can't, I can't be in a situation where I don't tell you this. Um, but also, you know, d- don't be, you know, if we can step away from friendships that are harmful to us, you know, in a loving way. That doesn't mean they go forever. And, um, you know, and I think that it's, it, yeah, it's hard. Um, I, I think that strong arming and, you know, don't get frustrated, you know, like try not to, you know, the frustrate, the temp, you know, the frustration at people who won't accept they get help. You know, you can't, you're, we are powerless over other people. You know, but all you can do, and this is what I've learned, this is all from a 12 step program. Uh, it's not my wisdom, it's wisdom I have borrowed from them, from that, you know, but all we can do is sort of work on ourselves and what our response is to it. And what does this piss you off? Then why are you putting up with it still? Do you think that it would have been helpful to you if more people who loved you had told you that they were worried about you? I mean, it's like, it's hard to say. Like, I don't know, because that isn't what happened, you know. And I was very good at, you know, and also they're in they're only existing within the framework of a society that, you know, I hit, I was ticking all the boxes, you know, I was married, I had a house, I was successful. Like why the fuck should they be telling me what's it to that? Why do they want to, why do they want to do that? Do you know what I mean? Like it's, they've got their own lives to be getting on with. Why am I telling this girl that she's got a problem? This is ridiculous, you know? And some people did occasionally kind of mention it. And I would just be like, fuck off you know and that was that so you know I I don't and also for you and again something I can relate to but you were dealing with different things on the route to that journey weren't you you know dealing with your mental health and dealing with your actual physical health and then in time getting to your addictions yeah I mean yeah I I it was a lot like I think I wrote this book called Mad Girl about my OCD and I think that for me was the thing that really opened the gates and 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 because it 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 sent me into this world of like becoming an accidental mental health campaigner and I started things like mental health mates and I just learned more I learned and the more I learned the more I through meeting other people the more I realized I had work to do on myself do you know what I mean and and that's but that's a continuing thing Clemmy like I am by no means think oh this is you know I've got it all sorted like my life is like life is nice life is a lot more content but I'm sure that there is something I'm doing right now yeah that's gonna in a year's time I'm gonna look back and go oh my god I can't believe I did that I would do that but you know what I mean like it's all a process so yeah you know you get to these things when you can and you hope that you're still alive like that's the thing and but you know we can help people to get to these places quicker if we allow there to be fucking provision to help them with it and we and we welcome them and we say to them this is an illness so this is why i do what i do because it's like i'm really privileged right i'm a white woman middle class you know, and, uh, and in the media, I had I, I could get a bank loan to send myself to rehab. Not everyone, most people don't have that, right? But my by using the platform I weirdly have to talk about this stuff and to kind of pressure and write and 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 and, and, and say how shit government provision is for mental health services, and by doing campaigns and all of that jazz, like then we can we can we can try and make a difference and help you know it's 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 anyway these problems are bigger than me and i and i and i but i i feel very lucky to be sober and in the position i am and and um yeah i don't want to ever take that for granted if that makes sense no no i mean i've got Three questions as we head towards the end. Number one, so lots of people ask me how you support someone in recovery. What would mm-hmm. you, what would your answer to that be? Uh, 
I would uh, look into, um, I mean, read a lot. Uh, there's loads of books out there about, you know, recovery, um, except that you are, you know, you're as important as the person in recovery. Um, you know, there are 12 step fellowships for people uh, who love people in, you know, who are in recovery. So, they're always interesting to look into. Um, I think things like Al-Anon, I don't know. I've never, you know, it's not. But, um, and, uh, you know, it, it's not easy, you know, but it's 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 certainly better um, than, than the alternative. And, um, yeah, I just think, oh, I don't really know. I don't really know because I'm not, you know, but, like, my husband is – very kind of like you know like i just think with anything you know love is unconditional right you know it isn't conditional on us being a good person or a bad person or you know and sometimes you may have to detach with that love right and go look mate you're on a slippery slope here and i can't but you know i love you i'll always love you and you know, but this doesn't work for me right now. Um, so, you know, my answer in that really frustrating, fucking annoying, cliched way is just love them. It's true. It is true. It's the answer to most things. I yeah. actually have got a, like a little bit more practical answer to that. Yeah. Over the summer, we were, I was with friends and we we're on the beach and someone went to go and buy a load of beers for everyone. And without me asking, they came back with like a ginger ale or something nice. And, and that was a really nice moment because sometimes you just feel like the weirdo, don't you, in situations? Or I do. And, yeah, I, um, I had a moment last last summer in in France where we were at this like market dinner market where you sit out in the you know and you go and get food from the stalls and everyone just like was drinking rosé and I was like. Mm. And they got apple juice for the kids. And I, I cried. I had to walk off. I cried. Yeah, because you just think, I, I want to be able to drink rosé with you. Yeah. But like, yeah, I think that's I don't really want to do it. it. But it, it, yeah, so for the friend who got me whatever, some snazzy drink without me asking, like that meant, meant a lot, actually. And also like one note, like elderflower, like... I'm a recovering alcoholic, not a fucking wood sprite. Oh my god, I don't ever. I, I used to quite like, but if you have three three oh. pregnancies, then you don't drink. I don't particularly want to ever drink elderflower again. We know uh, it's uh, yeah, water. Yeah, but that is sweet. Yes, Maybe no, it's a be- nice gesture because it was just like you know. And then actually, um, my one of my best mates overheard me saying to someone, "Oh, you know." doing that self-deprecating thing about being boring now and um she texts me and said i want you to know that i think that you're more fun on a night out than than you ever were and i was just like really i can't believe that and she's like you laugh so much more because oh, so nice. uh, you know all the times that i thought i was fun i probably wasn't fun for anyone else maybe yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I my mum said something like that to me actually, and it it meant a lot. Like you're you're still, <laughs> she, you know, she didn't say it was much more fun than I was before, but she said you're still quite fun, Brian. You're, you're okay yeah. because you yeah, and it is amazing. Like other people's energy, don't, like I can't stay out on a night out for very long, but that sweet spot when everyone else is tipsy, it is contagious. Like I, yeah. you can, you can get off on that. I don't. And then go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm still not there, but anyway, maybe I will be soon. I well, don't know. yeah. But like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't. But I just, it's, yeah, it's really valid. That, like, if if you've got anyone in your circle who you do feel like things like that, it is really validating to be, to know that people who love you can love the, the you who, without anything on top of it. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. So two more things. Number one, where can people find you and what's the name of your book? Uh, people can find me uh, on Instagram at Bryony Gordon um, and my book is called Glorious Rock Bottom. And it's available at all good outlets. <laughs> yes. And, it's very good. And, and yes, it is. Yes, it's, it's out there. At this point, I'm going to ask one of the questions that I used to end honestly with, which is, if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be? And I'm embarrassed to say that I thought that Stephen Hawkins was still alive. Um, and I could cut it out of the edit or I could just show that 
that sometimes these things pass you by. I'm very sorry that I didn't realise. So here it is, me being a Wally, but it did stay with me for the rest of the day that I didn't know that. And just to wrap it up, if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be and what would you say? Do you know what? I was just talking to, to, to someone about this, uh, about to the people that, to my producer on the podcast I do. And I was talking about how, you know, that dream dinner, like dream dinner party, guest dead or alive and I was like dream podcast guest dead or alive and it would be Stephen Hawking I just like to I just like to talk to him about like being told that you're uh, being told something that technically means everything is sort of as you know it is over and then like life as you know it's over and then creating a whole new one a whole new world I mean like Yes. Well, you manifested that now, Brian. That's out in the ether. So- well, no, but I, he's dead, so I don't know how I would. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like that's that's. But like, so, like I'm interested in people like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah but there must be other. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. Someone- Someone, uh, I mean, it's, I'm just fascinated. Like, I love, I just love talking to people about, um, honestly, oh, about a, stuff. I, I, there's I, an I, amazing guy called um, Ben Tansley, who you should look up, who got um, paralysed in a motorbike accident and told he would never walk again and is looking like he's headed up towards, like, walking. What? That's amazing. Mm. Gosh, yeah, you see, like, I love, I just love talking to people i just love talking to people generally just any any conversation uh as long as it's honest you can tell what they're amazing not and you. people's capacity for survival is amazing that's the thing gosh you've given me a lot to think about this morning clemmy <laughs> and that's it another episode of but why finished up um there's so much I want to say on this subject. I think one of my favourite parts of this episode and one that I have gone back to time and time again is that analogy about um, a lift going downwards. I think with any addiction, but particularly with alcohol, because it's so socially acceptable, it's very... I, how can I phrase this without being judgmental? I spent a long time saying to myself, I'm not as bad as what my imagined idea of an alcoholic looked like. Therefore, I don't need to give this up. But actually, we're all on our own journey. And, and what might be livable for one person can be terrible for someone else. And there is no doubt that I was living in a terrible, terrible cycle of shame because I knew in my heart of hearts that alcohol was a terrible decision for me, but I was so preoccupied with, I guess, wanting to be a younger version of myself, but also wanting to keep up that social facade and to be one of one of the gang who was drinking that I, I kept drinking for far longer than I die than I wanted to and then not only feeling self-loathing and anxiety of the of your average hangover there's also this voice in your head that is saying and you knew you shouldn't have done it and actually then what happens this is the cycle then you drink to recover from that shame and so it continues but as I said at the beginning and I want to continue to reiterate it being sober is without doubt the best decision I've ever made for myself Um, There is an amazing community online. I'm going to put a bunch of um, names in the show notes that you can consult and as well as a bunch of articles that I've read that have really helped me. And do reach out to me because I really can't be your support, but I can tell you about my experience and, um, yeah, really do want to encourage everyone to think about sobriety and recovery. And thank you so much to Bryony. I knew she'd be brilliant. She really is yeah, a force and someone who continues to work on herself, which I hugely admire. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Please do rate, review and subscribe. Tell as many people as possible about it. And I'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Bye.